How are we doing tonight, everyone? Are we good? Awesome. Come on, let's keep clapping. Put our hands together for everyone watching online. Really glad to have you. Welcome into Sub 30. Uh, every single week, man, we have a lot of people who are uh, watching online. I, th I think last week we were almost at 400 people um, who tune in online on a Sunday night to be with us uh, at Sub 30. And that's just kind of like when we say 400, that's just like, you know, individual computers or, or devices that we're able to check. But I do know uh, that there is a young adult ministry in Savannah, Georgia called The Find, who has like 50, 60, 75 young adults who tune in every single week to Sub 30. So can we put our hands together, say hey to them? Awesome to have them with us. So uh, that's cool, huh? Man, other, other young adults are, are, are all gathering together, man, and we're all kind of just receiving the word at the same time. It's awesome. Hey, if you have your Bible, let's open it up to the book of uh, Exodus, chapter 14. Did anyone catch any football this afternoon? We're gonna keep praying. Keep praying. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyone, anyone college football teams, any Gator fans really, really happy today? Really, really happy. Man, man, this is a great win. This is a great win. All right, Florida State, any Florida State fans? Don't wanna leave you out. Both undefeated, right? Both undefeated until they meet each other. The plot thickens. <laughs> Exodus 14, starting in verse five. If you don't have a Bible, it's all good. We got you covered. It's right there on the screen says this, look, if you didn't get your Bible reading in this week, we better get it in right now. So uh, I'm gonna read just a, a little bit. Bear with me, and I promise we're going somewhere tonight. So here we go. It says this, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We've let the Israelites go and we've lost their services, right? So this is right when the Israelites have just been set free. Moses is leading them out of Egypt towards the promised land. Verse six, so he and his chariot made ready and took his army with them. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them uh, as they camped by the sea. Verse 10, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and uh, there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. And Moses answered the people, don't be afraid. Stand firm and you'll see the deliverance the Lord will bring to you today. And the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. I love that. The Egyptians you see right now, oh yeah, you're, you're never gonna see them again. Verse 14, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all of his army 
through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I'm the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. That's a whole nother message. If you won't give God glory, he'll go ahead and take it any way he can. He'll, he'll get the glory through you if you won't give it to him. Verse 19, then the angel of God who had been traveling in front of Israel's army withdrew and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. And throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other side, so neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. And the waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water to their right and to their left. And the Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and Horsemen followed them into the sea, and during the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and the cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let us get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Verse 27, so Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place, and the Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and the horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea, not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water to their right and to their left, and that day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. And one more verse of scripture in Proverbs chapter 21, just one verse in verse 30, it says this, it says, there is no wisdom, no insight, and no plan that can su succeed against the Lord. There's no wisdom, there's no insight, and there's no plan that, that can succeed against our God. Tonight, if you're taking notes, I've entitled this message, Checkmate, Checkmate. We're gonna talk about what this means, but let's pray first before we get into God's word. Father, we love you. It's a privilege to be in church tonight, God, and to worship you and receive your word. God, without persecution, really freely. Lord, we pray tonight that you would speak to us, God, that we would never ever be the same. I pray that you would lift the head of the discouraged tonight, God, that you would heal the bodies of the sick, that you would move in mighty and awesome ways, God. We just read scripture about how truly incredible you are and the, the feats and the strength that you have shown your people in the past. God, we pray that you would continue to do that in the lives of your people, even here today and uh, in the rest of this week, this year, God, and the days that we have ahead of us. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said amen. Amen. I wanna read something uh, to you. It's a true story. <clears throat> And I wrote it down because I wanna read it verbatim. It's not long, but it goes perfect. And it's kind of where I got our title for tonight from. And it's gonna lead us right into the thick of what I wanna share with you tonight. And it goes like this. In the late 1800s and the early 1900s, there used to be a painting in the Louvre Art Museum in Paris, France. Anyone ever been to Paris? Anyone ever been, been to the Louvre? I've been to the Louvre, it's an awesome place. And there was a painting that was there, late 1800s, early 1900s. And it was called The Chess Players, or Checkmate. It was painted by Friedrich uh, Moritz August Reich, and it's now in private hands after being sold in 1999. And this particular painting depicts two chess players, one who is Satan, whom appears arrogant, who appears arrogantly confident, and the other player is a man who looks forlorn and forsaken. 
And the painting is to depict the thought that if Satan wins the chess match, then he gets the man's soul. And according to a museum source, a true chess champion actually visited the museum once and after studying the painting, noticed that the arrangement of the chess pieces were incorrect. According to him, the devil who thought that he was winning was in fact not winning, and the man who thought he was losing was actually winning. Because according to the pieces left on the chessboard, his king had one more move left, which would make him the winner of the game. And he called the museum curator and they determined that the title did not fit the scene because the distraught looking player actually has the ability to defeat his opponent, though he obviously doesn't realize it. The painting is therefore a lie because his king can still make one more move. Now, if you've ever heard me preach in the history of the world, you know this is fixing to get preached right here. You see, Sub 30, it's, it's, it's actually really simple tonight. You see, sometimes I think what the enemy is trying to feed your life and what the enemy is trying to get, to get you to believe, it's really, in fact, just one big lie when you consider that our King Jesus still has moves to make. He's actually not done making moves. You see, sometimes I think the enemy, the devil, right? He's real. We have an adversary. His name is Satan. Sometimes I think he is trying to convince you. He's trying to whisper in your ear that, that your life is too tough and the chaos is too immense, that you're not gonna be able to overcome anything else. You might as well just sit down, shut up, and give up. But I hear, I'm here tonight to tell someone that the king has more moves to make in your life. It's not over until God says that it's over. I don't know what you're going through right now, but I know the enemy's not the one getting the last move. You see, I feel like the devil, he tries to whisper in our ears sometimes. He just tries to come close and he, and he says, you know, checkmate, Ch checkmate. And I, I don't know if we got any chess players in the house, but basically what that means is game over. I feel like the enemy comes to us and he whispers in our ear, game over, checkmate. You have no more moves to make. And I feel like it's in those moments, sub 30, that there needs to be a spirit of faith and boldness that rises up inside of you and says, look, enemy, I might not have any moves left, but thank God I serve a God who still has moves to make on my behalf. It's not over until God says it's over. See, I feel like tonight's a message God gave me, and there's people in here, you're struggling with relationship, you're struggling with jobs and finances, and the enemy's whispering to you, checkmate. Oh, oh, oh yeah, this marriage is done, game over, checkmate. Oh, oh, that career that you thought was gonna be awesome, and you graduated, and you thought, man, now I'm on my way, but it hasn't worked out like you thought it was gonna work out, and the business failed, and, and now you're in some dead-end job, and you don't think it's going anywhere, and the enemy's whispering to you, checkmate. Checkmate, game over. You, you got no more moves left. You're early in your 20s, but you got no more moves left. You gotta whisper back to that enemy, no, 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 my God still has a move. It's not checkmate in my life because the king has more moves. The king always has another move to make. My Jesus gets the last word. I thought, you know, life is so much easier to bear and get through at times when you realize the king still has another move. Man, life's a whole lot easier. And I just wanted to encourage some people tonight it's not over. God's not done working on you. God's not done leading you where he wants to get you. He's still making moves in your life, and it's time for our faith to rise up and believe it when we leave here tonight. I love what we read in Proverbs chapter 21. What a massive encouragement to every single believer, right? If you wanna be encouraged tonight, you came to the right service, all you gotta do is read this passage. Proverbs 21, verse 30. Look what it says. There is no wisdom. There's no wisdom, there's no insight, and there's no plan that can succeed against the Lord. 
Man, you can wake up every single day, put your clothes on, put your shoes on, walk out the door, doing what God's called you to do, knowing that it doesn't matter what the enemy tries to format and put together, there is no plan that can succeed against me today. There's no wisdom that the enemy has that's gonna overcome me today. God's still making moves on my behalf. On the enemy's best day, he'll never succeed because God is for us, he's not against us, and he's still moving on our behalf. I love what we read, right? A long story in Exodus chapter 14, and you can go home and read it again tonight. I always wanna encourage Sub 30, whenever I preach a passage, I would love for you to go home and read it and kinda see what you find. See what God speaks to you, right? It's, it's not just about what your pastor can give you. You can find great revelation in the word if you read it for yourself. But, but here they are, right? The Israelite nation, the people of God, and they, they leave Egypt and now they find themselves at the Red Sea, right? It, it, we're we're kind of stuck. It, it's a dead end. We got a ticked off Egyptian army behind us. We got a, a massive body of water in front of us. There are no boats and we have nowhere to go, they're, they're kind of stuck and everybody's freaking out. You read the passage, everyone is freaking out. Like they're all like, great Moses. We're all like, you brought us all out here to die, Moses. Would have just been better, you know, people are freaking out, they're scared, they're fearful. Everyone is, is really, really just having a hard time understanding what's going on, but, but God still has another move to make. God's not done moving on their behalf. He, he makes a way where there is no way. I want that to seek in. So sometimes in life, just like the Israelites, you find yourself and, and the Red Sea is in front of you and, and you know you can't go backward, but God, there is no way, but our God specializes in making a way where there is no way. I want you to know something, 30. God doesn't just forge a way where the old road has kind of been blocked up. That, that's not what he does. He makes a way where there is no way. There, there's no way, you see, I had this thought. I think that there are like wow moments in life and then there's no way moments in life. They're, they're both great, but I, but I think there's, there's a difference. There's wow moments and then there's no way kind of moments. You know, like, like the disciples catching a massive load of fish, right? And they, they toss their nets over and they haul in a bunch of fish and their boats are sinking. That's a wow moment, wow. That's amazing, Jesus, that's incredible. Wow, wow, wow. But then there's other moments like Jesus walking out of his own grave. That's more like a no way kind of moment. See, see, that's the move God wants to make in your life. He wants to make a no way kind of move in your life. Just when you think there is no way I'm gonna get over this. There is no way God's gonna provide the job. There is no way this marriage is ever gonna be mended and restored. God says, man, I specialize in no way. I specialize in making a way where there is no way. That, let that be an encouragement to you tonight. I, I, I think I could throw out a million examples, but there's probably some people who feel like your feet are on the edge and your back's against the wall and you have nowhere to go, but God's about to make a way in your life because the king still has one more move. And when you wake up every day knowing, God, I don't know how you're gonna do it, but I trust in your word and I know the person of Jesus, so I know that you will do it. God, I'm, I'm having faith. I don't know how it's gonna be accomplished, but I believe that it will be accomplished in Jesus' name. Understand this, if you're writing down some things, write this down. God sees a move that you don't see. God sees a move that you don't see. Sometimes when I really need a confidence booster, I, I play checkers with little kids, right? 
because they don't know anything. And, and here you are and you're just like, I mean, they don't even know the rules. You could totally be cheating and just like jumping their men all over the place. And they're like, oh my gosh, you always win. Yeah, I do. So, <laughs> because here's the deal. When, when you're mature and, and here's little kids, like you see moves they don't see. You, you see ways to position the, the pieces on the board and, and they're too young and immature, they don't see it. I, I want you to understand this tonight, Sub 30. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. He's always higher, he's always greater. God sees moves you don't even see. God, how are you gonna do this? Oh, he sees the move. God, how are you gonna provide this need? Oh, he sees the move. God, I have no idea how you're gonna accomplish this. He sees the move. God sees moves you don't see, and the king still has an opportunity to make one more move. You know, as we look at Exodus chapter 14, I always like to wring passages out. You know this about me. I always wanna go to scripture, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna see something ho hopefully cool and a great revelation that's gonna help all of us, but along the way, I wanna go ahead and teach and wring out as much as we can find, and so I'd like to do that as well tonight. If you wanna take some notes, you can write some of these things down, but in verse 10 and 11, one of the things I found, which I guess could lead me to point number one tonight, is this. Um, does your dead end lead to prayer to God or murmuring against God? Does your dead end lead to prayer or murmuring? The Bible tells us that the Israelites get to the Red Sea and they assumed that they're doomed. We're gonna die here, Moses, thanks a lot. And all of a sudden, the mass splits into two types of people. A whole nation of Israel splits right into two types of people. There are people who start to pray and cry out to God to help them in this situation, and then there's people who immediately go to murmuring against God and complaining against Moses. My question to you is when you come to a dead end in life, which person do you turn into? Which person do you turn into? Do you turn into a prayer or do you turn into a complainer when you find the dead ends in life? Which half are you? And what's interesting about the Israelites, and it's so true of us today, in 2015, it's so interesting, is how quickly they forget the previous works of God. Like, like Israel, like, did, have you already forgotten the 10 plagues? Have you already forgotten what, what God did to, to Pharaoh and that whole Egypt situation? He just led you out of captivity. You've been enslaved for over 400 years. And God has just led you out of that and here you are with the first problem and it's like you already forgot what God's capable of. Sub 30, understand this tonight. Never let a spirit of forgetfulness come on you. You need to remember. Sometimes you gotta remember what God pulled you out of so you can have faith for what he's bringing you into. Don't, don't, don't forget. Like, like some of us, maybe we're not where we should be but we're not where we used to be. Like we, we've come a long way, like you gotta, you gotta remind yourself, God, you've been good and you've provided in the past and you've done miracles and Lord, you've been far more gracious and merciful than I ever deserved and God, you, you're awesome and you're gracious, you're all these things, God. You better remind yourself each and every day because here in 2016, something else is gonna hit you square in the face and you're gonna have the opportunity when that comes, am I gonna, what, what, what person do I split into? Do I turn into a prayer? Do I cry out to God saying, God, you did it before, do it again? Or do I turn into the person that complains? Starts, God, why did you leave me here? This is stupid, are, are you even real? Can I even trust you? Like which person do you turn into when you meet dead roads in life? The second thing I realized was in verse 14, I love it, it's simple. It simply says, that God, God told Moses, look, understand this, the Lord will fight for you. Sub 30, God's fighting your battles for you. 
You wake up every single day. You, you feel like you had a stressful day. There have been principalities and heavenly angels who have been fighting and warring on your behalf. Heaven is fighting for you. In other words, what God says is, hey, Israel, just sit tight because I got another move. Just, just sit tight. I'm working on this. Be reminded and encouraged tonight, Sub 30. If God brought you to the Red Sea, he's gonna get you through the Red Sea. God knows what he's doing. He makes ways when there is no ways. It's awesome. I don't, I don't know about you, but, but sometimes it's a lot easier to get myself up out of bed when I know I've been having kind of a hard couple weeks, some things are weighing on me, but, but I can wake up knowing that I'm not the only one fighting today. God is fighting for me. He's fighting on my behalf. Angels are protecting me. God is fighting for me. I can do this. I can make it through this. The next thing I notice in verse 19, write this down. Number three, God is your front and rear guard. God is your front and rear guard. The, the Bible says this. The Bible said that as they were leaving Egypt, there's a pillar of fire that is leading them. So, so it's at the front of the whole nation and it's leading Israel, but then all of a sudden they come to the, the sea and then the Bible tells us that now as the Egyptians are approaching, the pillar of fire moves from the front and it now goes to the back to protect them from what's trying to chase them. You see, God is not just your front guard, he's your rear guard at the same time. What does that mean? It simply means this. When I say God is your front guard, it simply means, look, God's gonna protect your future. He's gonna protect what's coming ahead of you. He, he protects us in regards to what's ahead. But when I say God is your rear guard, God will protect you from your past because if you lived any amount of time, you know that it's your past that the enemy is always trying to throw in your face and make you feel guilty and shameful about. God doesn't just protect you where you're going, but he's gonna protect you on the back end when the enemy tries to come and bring condemnation and shame and guilt for everything that you've already walked through. He's your front and rear guard. God has you covered. I can leave my house knowing I'm covered. I'm looked after, I'm watched over, I am protected, I am shielded. I am sheltered and I am watched over by the God that I serve. Number four, verse 24, I love it. Write this down. Where God leads you, he'll light you. Where God leads you, he will light you. So here they are, the Israelites, and Moses outstretches his arms and he has his staff in one hand and, and the waters, you know the story, the waters have now parted and, and the Bible says it's not just kind of soggy ground, but God did such a miracle, it's dry ground. Come on, God over and above God, right? It's dry ground that they're walking over. And the Bible says this, that, that the pillar of fire comes and is now helping them through the, the, the sea, right? It, it's shining light. And, and scholars, I did some research on this, scholars believe that, that as Israel is crossing over the sea, it was at night. And it wasn't just any night, but as, as they do all the intense research that they do from hundreds and thousands of years ago and all this stuff, scholars believe that it was specifically seven days after a full moon that Israel is crossing through the sea, which means that there is no moonlight whatsoever. The only thing illuminating their path is the pillar of fire that the Lord sent down to lead his people. Sub 30, you better believe that when God makes a way where there has never been a way that he'll be faithful to light the path for you. He'll light it every step of the way. Remember, God leads us. He doesn't push us, right? We talked about that. I, I preached a message called Spirit-Led. God is not a pusher. He doesn't push us and make us go first. He leads. And he leads. And as he leads, come on. And how does he do this? How does he lead us these days in 2015? How is God lighting up our path? It's the word. 
The Bible says in Psalm 119 that his word is a lamp and a light to our feet and to our path. So, so I, would, I would encourage you in this today, if you ever feel like you're walking through dark times in life and God, I don't know where to go, this will light your way. It's, it's not just like any other book on the shelf, but if you'll open it up and you'll read it and you'll apply it to your life and you'll get it in your spirit, it actually lights up the way because God's making a way where there's never been a way. You, you don't know what's ahead. You, you've never gone this way before, but it's the word that's gonna illuminate every step of the way. This is why we read our Bibles. This is why we get devoted to God's word. It's a lamp and it's a light. Do, does, do you ever watch scary movies? Does anyone here like scary movies, right? You like scary movies, horror movies? It's not a trick question. You're like, crap, I'm in church, I don't know. Um, is that good, is that bad? Should I watch them, should I not? Uh, you know, like scary movies, like I get super scared of scary movies. Me and my wife, so like we don't really watch them a lot. But there, there's one thing that really aggravates me about scary movies. Um, and it's this, how come when the person walks in the house, they never turn the flipping light on? You know, like why do they never turn the light on? Like they, they walk in the house and eerie music and like they kind of think someone's on the loose, but I don't really know. And it's like, they just never turn a light on, walk upstairs and start taking a shower. What in the world? Who does that? Who doesn't immediately flip the light on, right? It's, it's insane. Of course, you walk into a dark house, you turn the light on. Look, it's, it's just as silly and ridiculous the person who tries to navigate dark times in life and refuses to open up the word of God and let it be a lamp and a light. Like, like why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you have some light shining on the way where there's never been a way? Why wouldn't you open it up and let the word of God do that for you? This is what Jesus does, I love it. And in number five, the fifth thing that I saw right here in verse 25, it's, it's, it's simple. You can write this down. Uh, the tables turn when God sits at your table. The tables turn when God sits at your table. The, the Bible says this, the Bible says that as the Egyptians are coming up on the Israelites, that at first they're angry, right? They're upset with themselves. We never should have let these people go in the first place. How stupid, what was I thinking? This is ridiculous, right? And, and so here the Egyptians come and the Bible says at first as they're chasing Israel that they're full of rage, they're full of hate, they're angry, they're loud, they're boisterous and they're running after the Israelites but all of a sudden they, they turn and they start singing a different tune. The Bible says that, that here Israel is and now they've gone through the Red Sea and now the Egyptian army starts to make their way and they're actually in the, 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 the sea, they're in the Red Sea and the walls of water are still parted and here the army is but God starts to do something. God starts to, to mess with their chariots. We read it, right? And, and now their chariots aren't working like they thought they were supposed to work and, and the water is getting more and more muddy and, and, and everything is just falling apart and the Bible says that Egyptians start crying out, let's go back. Let's go back. It's obvious, Pharaoh, that God is fighting for them. Let's just go back. Isn't it interesting how the enemy's tune changes when he realizes that God's sitting at your table? The tables turn when God sits at your table. Oh, oh, oh the enemy will start singing a way different tune when he looks and he sees God fighting on your behalf making a move in your life. The king is making one more move, and when the enemy sees it, it scares him. He's fearful. He's fearful when God makes moves in our life. You, you know, I, I noticed something, and it was a bit of history. I don't know if anyone likes biblical history. Maybe that's just me. That's why I'm a pastor, I guess. But um, so, so interesting that the Lord decided to kill uh, an entire Egyptian army, an entire generation of men in the Egyptian army by drowning them 
in the Red Sea. You see, you see, the Bible says this. The Bible says that vengeance is mine, says the Lord. You, you see, it's very interesting that he would choose to drown them in the Red Sea. It, it's probably because Pharaoh chose to drown an entire generation of Israelite boys in the Nile River many, many years before them. And, and you don't think God remembers. God remembers what the enemy's done to you. God remembers how the enemy has treated you. God remembers, and God's fighting on your behalf. Oh, God will settle debts on your behalf that need to be paid. God's fighting for you, sub 30. The king is making one more move. As the band comes up and gets ready to join me, there's kind of three main takeaway points that I'd like for you to leave with tonight. The first one is this, we've been talking about it. Number one, God always has another move. God always has another move. I thought about other stories in the Bible. It's interesting, we, we, we can talk about this one. Here's Israel and they come to the, the Red Sea but, but God had another move, right? They think it's over, they think it's completely done. We're gonna die, this is it, checkmate, out of moves but, but God made another move. I thought about Daniel in the lion's den. Here Daniel is, he's trying to serve God, he's trying to just be, a, be a, a good, godly man. He's praying and he's fasting and he's doing all of these things. But, but what did that get him? It got it thrown in a lion's den. And as he's sitting there, I'm sure if it were many of us, we're thinking like, God, oh, I feel kind of stuck. Looks like a dead end, right? And the enemy is whispering, checkmate, checkmate, game, game over. You, you got no more moves, but what does God do? He, he made a way where there seemed to be no way. The king made another move. I thought about Paul and Silas in the New Testament in Acts chapter 16 and here they are and they're preaching Jesus and they're just trying to lead people into a life of faith and wholeness and what did that get them? It got them thrown in prison. They're in prison and it's not like an overnight. It's like, hey, you're in prison, you're, you're never gonna get out again. Checkmate, the enemy says. No, no more moves, but what does God do? He makes a way where there is no way and the king has one more move. I thought about Job, right? You can go read the whole book of Job. Talk about a guy who went through it. Yo, Job went through some stuff. I mean, Job's stuff was taken from him. His finances were taken from him. His health started to be taken from him. He's losing family members. His, all of his family is dying. His cattle is dying. I mean, he's losing everything. It's all crumbling. He's probably thinking, I don't know what's happening. God, I love you. I'm trying my best. And the whole time the enemy's whispering, checkmate, game over. Game over, Job, you have no more moves. But Job, a man full of faith, says, you know what, I, I might not have the move, but I know a king who does. I know a king who still has another move to make in my life. The king has one more move. God always has another move. Number two, because God always has another move, sub 30, you always have another option in Jesus. You always have another option in Jesus. Don't let the enemy trick you and lie to you and get you to think it's over. It's not checkmate. It's not checkmate. The king's moving on your behalf. You don't have to believe that what the enemy is saying is the only option. There's another option and his name's Jesus. See, maybe there's some people in here tonight and, and you're new to the faith and you're new to church and God and Jesus and the whole deal. It's kind of just brand new for you. Sometimes, I'm, I'm just here to tell you, I've lived enough life to know this to be true, right? I'm not preaching anything to you I haven't seen for myself in real life. Sometimes you're gonna think, man, is this the end? Did I work so hard? Did I invest so much in this relationship and, and this 
work and this thing and this business and all of this friendship. I did all of this. Is this the end? It's not the end. You still have another option in Jesus Christ. And because God has another move, you always have another choice and another option in Jesus. One more move. You know, I thought about this. I thought about there was a really um, intense football game college football game last year uh, between the schools, Alabama and Auburn. Does anyone know what I'm talking about in the Iron Bowl, right? Uh, and, and what happened at the end of the game was there was one second left on the clock. And all, all I know as I was watching this game from my house is there was probably about 100,000 people in the stadium that thought this game is over. This game is over. Everyone watching on TV thinks this game is over. But what happens? Alabama kicks the ball off with one second left. As the ball is in the air, the time expires. Auburn catches in the end zone and then runs all the way back for a hundred and something yard touchdown to win the Iron Bowl and win the game. With one second left on the clock, everyone in the nation, every sports analyst, everyone watching ESPN guys, big dudes who get paid a lot of money to talk about sports, everyone's watching thinking this game is over, but yet there was still a move made with one second left. I'm here to tell you, Sub 30, God can still create a play with one second left on your clock and he can move on your behalf. Some of you feel like, man, clock's expired. It's over. It's done with. God, I don't know what to do. He makes a way where there is no way. This is what he does. You always have another option in Jesus. He can still, because here's what the enemy does. The enemy has you at the proverbial chess table and all he has is the appearance of victory. That's an interesting word, appearance. What, What do we know about appearances? They can be deceiving. The only thing the enemy can do to you is, is, is offer you the appearance of victory. E- even the enemy knows that your king has one more move to make. E- even the enemy knows that he's defeated in the end. Some people ask, well, why is he still putting up a fight? I think it's just a, a simple thing of like, if you lie to yourself enough, you start to actually believe that it's true. Like, I don't know if there's anyone out there you've ever like lied about your age so much that you really don't even remember how old you are anymore. And so I think that's what the enemy has done. He, he has lied to himself. He's a, he's a great deceiver and he has so deceived himself that he actually thinks he has a chance. But if he'll go back and actually remember the way it really is, he knows your king still has has another move on the chess table and it's not over until God says it's over. He can only offer the appearance. He never has the victory. The fight's over. The, 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 we're, we're fighting the fight of faith and we, we get to fight that today, but, but Jesus is not still fighting. You know what the Bible says Jesus is doing? He's seated. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father. Jesus is sitting down right now. You know when you sit down, when something is finished, that's when you sit down. Jesus is not out on the grind. He's not out fighting. He's not out working. He is sitting. The Bible says that the, that the earth is his footstool. Heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstool. Jesus is so relaxed, he's kicking his feet up on the world. The enemy can only offer you the appearance of victory. The king has more moves to make. God has another move. You have another option in Jesus. And number three, grace always gives another chance. Grace always gives another chance. I thought about the adulterous woman that the Bible talks about in the New Testament. 
Bible says these religious guys called the Pharisees, they, they said they catch this woman in the act of adultery. Makes you wonder like, yo, bro, what were you doing there in the first place? But nevertheless, in the, it sounds like a setup, right? So um, in the act of adultery, they get her, they bring her in front of Jesus, all got stones in their hands, about ready to kill this girl, but the king still has another move. And Jesus has a conversation with them. And at the end of the conversation, the Pharisees end up dropping their stones and walking away. And Jesus gives another chance of grace to a woman who, if we'll all be honest, maybe that isn't our act of sin, but we've all been caught in the act of sin. But God's given another chance because he's making another move in our life. And when God does that, the enemy has no choice but to drop stones and walk away. Drop stones and walk away. You're not touching my children, God says. Drop stones and walk away. Grace always gives another chance. I, I love it about our Jesus. He's so gracious. He's so merciful. He always has grace for us. And finally, I thought about this. Perhaps the greatest demonstration we could ever find in the world on the enemy trying to call checkmate and game over is the cross of Jesus Christ. It, it, is, it is the greatest demonstration. Here Jesus is, right? 30 years old, I'm, I'm 30 years old this year. At 30 years old, Jesus starts his earthly ministry. By the time he's 33, the enemy is moved and positioned to where Jesus is now being prosecuted. He's taken before the court. They found him to be guilty and they're deciding they're gonna crucify him. So here he is, he's immediately led away. The Bible talks about how he was bruised for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Here's Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, someone who was without blemish and without sin. If anyone deserves what Jesus got, it's every single person breathing oxygen in this room tonight. If there's one person who did not deserve what Jesus got, it was the man who got it. And here he is, and he's beaten, and he's flogged, and he's whipped, and he is tortured beyond recognition, like, like I truly believe if, if you were to physically see him after he went through what he went through, even before he got to the cross, you would not even recognize him. He was so beaten and so tortured and, and now he's led and he's put a cross on his back. It's heavy and it's weighty and he has to carry it himself all the way up a hill to a place called Golgotha. And it's there that his persecutors await him and they continually beat him every step of the way down the Via Della Rosa. And he finally gets to the place of the skull, Golgotha, and they put the cross in the ground and Jesus is lifted up on the cross and nails go into his hand and nails go into his feet. And for hours and hours, he is there gasping for breath. It, it, it's not the nails that killed Jesus. You understand the cross was about suffocation. You, you literally have been beaten and your body is hanging in such a way that if you want air, you have to push up on your feet which are nailed into the wood so that you can gasp for air and then hold it for a little while. And so for hours, he's literally trying not to suffocate. That's how you die on the cross. And this is Jesus. This is the God who loves us. This is the God who made a way when there is no way for you and I. And finally, the Bible says that he breathes his Last breath, he declares, it is finished, and he hangs his head, and he invites death to take him. Understand this, death didn't grab Jesus. D death came when Jesus let it come. Jesus said, okay, now you can come. To he was in control the whole way. Death didn't steal his life. Jesus says, okay, you can come get it now. 
Oh, he's in control every step of the way. And he finally hangs his head and he dies and he's taken off the cross and he's put in a tomb. And every second for three days, don't you believe the enemy's saying, checkmate, checkmate, came over, came over. You got no more moves, God. Your son that you sent to the earth to die for all these miserable people that I don't understand why you love, that, that guy, I just killed him. Checkmate, checkmate every minute, every second for three days. But I'm here to tell you something, early on a Sunday morning, the king is still making one more move. God is doing something awesome. He's doing something miraculous. No one came to get Jesus. No one came to lift him up. He got himself up. He walked himself out of the grave because the king always, always, always has one more move. It's not checkmate as long as Jesus is breathing. The game's not over as long as he sits on the throne. He's always making one more move. You always have another option and grace always gives another chance. It is not checkmate in your life. I'm, I'm preaching to some people now. I'm here to declare and prophesy over you. In Jesus' name, it is not checkmate in your life. The game is not over. It is not finished. It is not finished. I'm here to tell you, if you, if you can have some faith, if you, can have, if you can lift some faith, if you can find it and muster it up inside of you to believe, God can still do the miraculous. He's not done. He's not done. You, you, you think his, his chest pieces are out of order and he didn't know what he was doing. No, he's been positioning this move all along. He's been positioning himself all along and you think you've been living in obscurity, you're not in obscurity. You are right where God wants you to be because as soon as he makes this move, not only are doors gonna open and opportunity's gonna come and blessing is gonna hit your life, but all of a sudden clarity is gonna hit you and you're gonna see that God was being faithful all along. You didn't see it because God sees a move that you don't see, but he's good and he's gracious and he's moving and he's doing miracles even when you can't understand it. It's not checkmate. It's not checkmate. With every head bowed and every eye closed. I honestly believe that this is like a, this could be a miracle message for somebody's life tonight. So simple, right? I know it's simple. There's really not a lot of theological depth to it, but sometimes it's just the most simple things of the cross and salvation and trusting Jesus and him being sovereign over our lives, making ways where there are no ways, like, like that's simple stuff, but it's powerful, miracle-working stuff. God wants to do it in your life. I just want you to, you got your eyes closed right now. and I just want you where you're at, just invite God, say, God, I need you to make a way, if that's you. If you feel like you've been at that dead end and whatever example, I could throw out right now. You, you feel like, man, I've been at a dead end. God, I need you to come. Jesus, come. Make a way where there is no way. God, rebuke the enemy in my life. It's not checkmate. Lord, the game is not over. God, forgive me for believing the lies of the enemy where I thought that it was over and that you were done doing all that you were gonna do. God, God, you're not done. And I see it now. I believe it now. I confess it now. In Jesus' name, just invite him. 
just invite him to come, to show himself to be real. I'm just leaving, I'm just leaving room right now for people to pray. Just have a moment with Jesus. He's a lot closer than you think. You just keep praying, you just keep, you just keep praying. I'm just gonna talk and encourage you as you pray. Sometimes in life, sub 30, I've, I've understood this, that where there is no clarity, I gotta trust sovereignty. Sometimes it doesn't look clear, but at the end of the day, God, you're sovereign. You are sovereign over all things. Nothing is outside of your control. The earth is not spinning out of control and you don't have a hand on it. God, I turn the news on, I turn CNN on and it looks like the world is falling apart and what in the where is Jesus? He, he's, not, he's not out of control. God is always in control. You, you don't see the move, but it doesn't mean he's not making it. You can't see the chess pieces that he's lining up, but, but we all know we've read the end of the book. We, we know how it shakes out. We know whose kingdom is built and solidified in the end. It's Jesus. We, we know that every president, every king, every ruler of this world will take a knee in front of Jesus at the end of it all. We know who wins and we know he's making moves on our behalf. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for every single person under the sound of my voice. God, resurrect and resuscitate faith. God, I pray that our faith would be so audacious. God, that we would begin to ask for things, be bold about calling upon you, Jesus, to fix circumstances and make moves in our life. God, we want you to come. We invite you to come. Lord, if you've been looking for the invitation, look no further. We, we want you in our lives every day, moving, reigning. God, we rebuke the enemy in Jesus' name. God, sin and death have no hold on us when we are in Jesus Christ. The enemy has no moves, no power over us when we are in Jesus Christ. God, we rebuke the enemy and we welcome your Holy Spirit to come and move in us, in Jesus' name.